0: All right, welcome to the State of Recruiting, the weekly recruiting podcast from Orange 24-7. Typically, uh, at this time, you would hear Bobby Burton, uh, but he is not available this week. So I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined by my uh, good friend and colleague, Jeff Howe. Jeff, thanks for joining and uh, subbing him for to Bobby today.
1: Anything that's going to get me away from talking about the Kansas game, I'm all for it at this point.
0: Well, we might not totally be away, so I'm going to basically turn over the hosting duties to you. Um, I'm, I'm used to kind of being in the second chair and fielding the questions, but um, we'll make this more of a, just kind of a conversation back and forth on some of the big stories of this week. Um, and I think the best place to start is with the news that came down just before we recorded the show, uh, the decommitment of Princely Uman-Milan, uh, just briefly. Uh, He was at the Kansas game as an unofficial visitor. Um, He has kind of had a weird recruitment up until this time. I mean, even when he committed to Texas back in August, it came as a surprise to a lot of people, including a lot of people on campus. So he's always a guy I've kind of had circled as uh, he could likely decommit. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, He has not been shy about taking his official visits. Um, and it has never been sold on the three man front that, that Todd Orlando runs at Texas. And, um, you know, Jeff, I haven't, I was in Houston, uh, during the Kansas game and I told you, I've had the chance to watch it yet. You told me just go ahead and delete that one from the DVR. Uh, Um, uh, I, I mean, what are you seeing as far as if you put yourself in the shoes of a, of a defensive line commit? looking at the way that the defense is performing, specifically the defensive line. I mean, what, what would your thoughts be on that?
1: To me, you know, the three-man front's not the problem because when you look around the country, you know, the two that stand out, obviously Alabama's a predominantly three-down team. LSU's a predominantly three-down team. and But I think when you start looking around the conference, uh, you know, Baylor's a three-down team. Oklahoma's a three-down team. So the three-man front's not the problem. The problem, I think, in where you can negatively recruit against Todd Orlando right now, look, uh, the numbers, yes, but it's that tight front. And the fact that you've got those two four eyes, Mike, when you look at it, man, it's almost like you're looking at a bear front, you know, depending on how they're shaded uh, and how tight those four eyes can get pinched sometimes. Uh, And, you know, to me, uh, you know, somebody that studies D-line film might correct me. Uh, but I just don't see as much slanting and movement as I saw from Todd Orlando's defensive line, like when he was at Houston. Uh, you know, the pieces are there. It's Keandre is not a bad player, neither to Quan Graham or Malcolm Roach and you know Tavondre Sweat's flashed a little bit. I still think Marcus Bimage is the the best pass rusher on this team. Uh, it's just that is it scheme, is it coaching, something's not allowing that group to live up to its ceiling and you know, the safety groups one that you look and you obviously say, okay, that group suffered a lot of injuries, but Mike, there's not a position group on the roster. That's been to me as disappointing as that D line group has been.
0: Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, he's always been skeptical of, of his fit, Um, He even talked earlier this season when I saw him about maybe slimming down and playing B-backer, which I think is just delusional uh, for him. But uh, obviously, you know, he wasn't seeing it. When you go to a Kansas game and you're watching up close and you're not seeing that that defensive line is just dominating, you know, man-on-man should be dominating the athletes Kansas has, I guess. That could uh, maybe put something like that in your mind. Um, Let's switch to uh, a little brighter—
1: Let me add one thing on that, Mike. I think the other part of that is, you know, the numbers are obviously going to get twisted, but to me, I haven't really seen anybody just line up and run the ball down Texas's throats. Um, You know, so coburn has been good from that sense. And I even think Graham and and Roach have been good against the run. Uh, You know, it's setting the edges. And again, I think that goes back to that tight front. So schematically, if you're Todd Orlando, are you taking full advantage of what that group can do? So, I think, obviously, people look at the numbers and negative recruit against Texas, but I still think it just goes back to schematics. And, the, again, the three-man front to me is not the problem. It's just how are you using that, and are you maximizing what you've got in that three-down look? I just don't think Texas is right now.
0: And I think it probably all kind of flows together, right? Like the lack of of quality linebacker in play it means that you have to compensate in other ways. And that may mean you just play more defensive backs and you, then you've got more guys hurt there. So obviously the one thing builds upon another and it starts snowballing. And that, I think that's what we've seen from the defense recently. I mean, I always kind of go back to this with guys is like, I, I don't. Obviously, there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I think if you stacked up their classes since Tom Herman's been there, they've recruited more quality talent on the defensive side of the ball, um, at least on paper, than they have on the offensive side of the ball. And then I always say a guy like Todd Orlando obviously knows more about football than than any of us ever will. And I don't think he just suddenly became a bad coach. But, I mean, obviously there's something there that's not working. And, um, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it affects recruiting. I – I, I think this week against TCU is like a much needed, um, response game. And I don't know that they necessarily have that response in them, but, um, you know, I'm sure that you guys will cover that over on the longhorn blitz, by the way, you can check out Jeff's podcast with Rob Babers, uh, the longhorn blitz and uh, i am also sometimes on it uh, that is uh, a great podcast for for people who want to hear information about the team um and that's available on all podcasting platforms um jeff the texas also hosted a few official visitors uh for the kansas game and you know that to me again i i know you don't want to talk much about the kansas game but um that feels like when you schedule a homecoming against a team that you think you're going to beat, then you find yourself in a dogfight. I think scheduling official visitors for Kansas feels like, well, you know, they'll get to see a blowout and, uh, and you know, we'll have a good time and then, you know, we can kind of cruise with, uh, with the visits.
1: Yeah, typically that's what you do, you know, for that Kansas game or whatever that game happens to be on the schedule when you're bringing in guys on officials. You know, to, to me, I actually think for for you know for Alfred Collins, Mike and Xavier and Alford, to me the sell for those guys to keep them in the class is real easy. You know Alfred Collins at what is he two eighty six two ninety now? Uh, yeah. He's, he's gonna be a three hundred plus pound guy. You know this four man fronts, this three man fronts. Excuse me, three man fronts perfect for him. Uh, and he fits well. And you know I think looking at a guy like Tavondre Sweat, I think that dangles the carry out in front of a guy like Alfred Collins. To say, hey, um, you know, if you were to pick Texas, uh, you know, there's definitely not only a place for you, but uh, kind of if you if you earn your keep as a true freshman, we're not afraid to put true freshman on the field. So I think, you know, you can at least spin that without college. Rasheen offered, you know, to keep him in the class. To me, the, the 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 pitch is easy, dude. You you can be one injury away from being on the field at safety. Um, you know, just look at how the dominoes fall. And I know that's, you know, the the rash of injuries Texas had at safety is kind of unprecedented, but um, I don't worry, Mike, about Texas being able to keep safeties in the full because not only, you know, have, have they proven in Todd Orlando's time that if you're good enough to play at that position, they'll find a spot for you. But as much as they use those guys, then if you're in the too deep, there's a really good chance you're going to end up starting at least a game or two by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Devondre Sweat for Alfred. That was actually his player host um, on the visit, which I thought was a great move just because they're both, you know, oversized but small town, quiet kids, um, kind of the same personalities. And it's a way for Alfred to look right at him and say, you know, I got here a year ago, or not even a year ago, but I was in your spot a year ago and put in the hard work, and now here I am getting quality playing time. Mm-hmm. Um, Alfred, for sure, you I think you mentioned, but the other official visitor um, was Midland-Lee wide receiver, Loak Fungi. Um, and I, I think also for him, I mean, if you look at what they like him at as that Z receiver with with size, I think you can probably point to Brendan Eagles and say, you know, look, we throw the ball down the field, um, Brendan Eagles is kind of exactly what you could be, although you might be able to uh, expand a little more on that because I think there's a few more dimensions to Lowick's game, um, and 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 really thrive in in our offense. I don't think the offense should have any problem re- recruiting receivers right now.
1: No, and I think too, you saw it really in that Kansas game. I think that was actually something you can spin with Lowick Fungi, too. Is you know they really kind of expanded what Brendan Eagles does a little bit, and we saw it from. Devin Duvernay last year uh there's more that z receiver that field side receiver can do other than just stretch the field obviously first and foremost that's what they look for uh but again I think you saw some stuff from Brendan Eagles you know the slant he caught on the goal line and uh just uh, there was a couple times one in particular I think on the first drive where uh, he kind of broke his route off and and got open for Sam Ellinger uh you know you can be a playmaker at that position not just a one-trick pony so yeah I mean I think uh, I think there's definitely something and, and look <laughs> yes you can nitpick the Texas offense right now but you can't ask for much more I don't think as a skill guy to see Devin Duvernay catch eight balls Colin Johnson catches eight balls Brendan Eagles has a touchdown Jake Smith has a touchdown on a night where they roll up 638 yards of total offense the, the sell to me at this point is, is probably pretty easy
0: yeah. And so with Alfred Collins, I was told the visit went, everything went pretty well with him. Um, you know, I mean, he's been to campus so many times, a bastard kid. He is right down the road um, and, and really has a great comfort level with Texas. My crystal ball, Um, is is on Texas, has been on Texas, and will remain on Texas until I hear something that that really changes my mind. I think that the Longhorns have about sewn everything up. Um, Alfred scheduled his last official visit to Texas, I think, for a purpose. And so uh, it would be very surprising if he is not part of this class when it's all said and done. With Loic Fungi, it's a little different. You know, I mean, I've talked about it before, but he is a kid – Whose family comes from uh Africa and immigrated over here and, and they live in Midland. They're um, you know, I think his father's an engineer. Loic has an interest in engineering. So obviously Texas weighs heavy there. But they didn't grow up in the state with like the mystique of Texas. To them, Texas is just another school in, in the state. And in fact, you know, they're fighting uh that depth chart. I think the, the same thing that that Texas can sell, I think, works against them. And since that, that Brennan Eagles is still a younger receiver and they've got guys coming up behind him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where, where things play out with him in the coming weeks. I think that Texas Tech, with the proximity and probably uh, able to sell a little more playing time, is is probably the biggest
1: threat um, at this point in time. Mike, there, there's one position I want to get to, and uh, it seems like every time whether it's on the Blitz or, or I know I haven't done this podcast with you yet, but we've done a couple special editions. I mean, Linebacker is the position that really intrigues me. And I think now you, know, you looked in the program, you said, okay, they've got numbers. But I think now with, with Caleb Johnson leaving the program and you know, we've seen Jawan Mitchell, we've seen a little bit of David Benda, and I think it was pretty clear in that Kansas game, David Benda, I think he's going to be a good player. Uh, he's just not ready yet. Uh, And and the fact that they've got to, because of the deficiencies in inside linebacker, they've got to move Joseph Osai inside, which kind of takes away from where he's best. you you got Byron Vaughn's a lot of playing time in that Kansas game. I say all that to say this, Mike. Has grad transfer inside linebacker slash Juco inside linebacker, for you, has that shot up the list of things you think Texas needs to go get? And do you think internally that's shooting up the list of things that Texas thinks they need to go get?
0: Um, for me, I've always kind of felt a little more urgency on linebacker than I feel the staff has felt. But, um, you know, I, I know that they've taken a lot of numbers there, despite Caleb Johnson leaving, they still have a lot of youth. And I think getting Juwan Mitchell, which was, by the way, I mean, a great find in a a time when your options are extremely limited. I think he's played far, far and away above expectations of what you thought he could maybe contribute this year. Um. And, and so we'll see where things continue to go with that but yeah i mean I think depending on your numbers you've got to to look at, at some possibilities of what you can do and it, it it seems like right now at linebacker the path is is juco or or grad transfer and i don't know i don't know what the grad transfer markets going to look like there i haven't delve deeply into the, the Juco, uh, market, but you know, I mean, they've got some guys on their recruiting staff who are really experienced in, in evaluating the Juco ranks and finding guys like Juwan Mitchell and, and finding guys like Caleb Johnson, regardless of, you know, if he's stuck there or not. Um, you know, they find those guys and, um, and can typically identify them before that they have much fanfare and, and Texas is able to kind of get on them. So, um, I think if that happens, you'll see that start in the next few weeks. I think you'll see some, maybe offers go out to some JUCO guys. Um, it, it always seems like late October, early November is usually the time when that stuff starts getting cooking.
1: I just wonder too how much the Gabriel Floyd thing impacts that. You know, like if they do, do they do they start to maybe put feelers out for guys now and think, okay, maybe not press for somebody, and then depending on. You know, December, January, what they figure out with Floyd, if they get a, a feel one way or the other for where that's going to go, then maybe it's OK. Maybe we can take one just to be safe or, or maybe you need to go get two or, or go wait to see who's in the portal. Yeah,
0: obviously, that's a huge factor. And, you know, the, the reason coming into the season, I wasn't as bullish on Texas as a lot of people. And it was simply because I thought that last season they got fairly lucky when it came to injuries. And I don't know that you can sustain that luck year over year. Um and and I think we're seeing it this year. And, I mean, how different would this defense look if Gabriel Floyd was getting playing time in the middle of it and you could have Joseph side pass rushing, you could generate more pass rush that way. Um, I mean, I think that the defense is a lot different. It's not to excuse – I think Todd Orlando's turned in some poor performances this year. But I also think that, uh, you know, him, I think that the the secondary coaches are playing with with a hand tied behind their back essentially in a lot of cases. I mean – I would love to know, you know, what the the thought process was behind, um, hey, we're down to safety. So we're going to put a walk our former walk on on instead of, you know, maybe some of those freshman safeties we have, um, you know, it, it's 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 at a point where the numbers are so low that I, I'm wondering, you know, if, if they're just looking at saving guys for next year or, or, or you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, I think that you have to you have to factor in juco and you have to always be ready with something i think with a case like de gabriel floyd's and, and the reported spinal stenosis that's obviously never a uh it's never i would call it a like a likely thing that they that people typically come back with i would think at most you have to plan like it's unlikely he comes back and, and be really excited if he is able to come back so um yeah, I think watch for that, obviously, uh, and, and, you know, maybe that's where you look at, like, Princely's uh scholarship. Sure, they could go after other defensive linemen, but maybe they apply that scholarship to, like, a Juco linebacker or something of that nature.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, could Prince Lee oumann get back in the class? I didn't mean to butcher his name there. I just got a little tongue-tied. Could he get back in the class? There's always a possibility of that, but... I mean, I think more more realistically, Mike, kind of what you said, it, it's more of okay if you can make kind of a swap, uh, Alfred Collins for for Prince Leal and Meilan, then okay, you you still feel really good about your D line class, and then yeah, maybe you can that frees you up to go, uh, go get a linebacker. Uh, that that position just to me, uh, you know, tight end was the other one I know we talk about, but man, linebacker, I th- you mentioned Jawan Mitchell, and I think. If you're looking at Texas evaluating JUCO guys, and I think with JUCO guys, there's always a, a hit or miss aspect to it, but you know, Jawan Mitchell was a late find. Jawan Mitchell would not be on campus right now, would not be in this program uh, if the Gabriel Floyd were healthy. And Todd Orlando said that period point blank. Jawan Mitchell was kind of their emergency plan when they found out they weren't going to have the Gabriel Floyd. So uh, this staff can't evaluate the JUCO market really well. Uh, I just think... And and to going back to something you said, Mike, you know, 2019, I said kind of the bar for success for this team was getting back to the Big 12 championship game, and that's still on the table. For me, when you talk about the playoff and everything else, I've always kind of circled 2020 as being the year, and I think at this point, uh, to maximize this time, and anybody who listened to the Blitz this week heard me say this ad nauseum, to maximize this time Tom Herman's got left with Sam Ellinger, Uh, if that's getting juco linebackers grad transfer linebackers you need a grad transfer corner or tight end whatever uh this is the cycle where you really try to go do that
0: yeah i agree i mean i think if you're talking in pro terms this is the year you start trading draft picks and and, you know you try to take advantage of the window while you have it um so obviously i and it's just I, i guess this is my last comment on the situation if you'd have told me uh mid-october they're a top 15 team but they're having all these issues um i probably wouldn't have believed you it's kind of odd that we're there's this much panic over a top 15 team but i guess at texas especially after last year the bar has been raised once again and and that's kind of how how things go all right um before we get out of here we always do uh kind of my tales from the road jeff and i I like having you on this because uh at heart you are a big old high school football nerd Mm -hmm. um and so, uh, I, I, like talking high school football with you. Um, so we'll start last Thursday. I went out to see South Lake Carroll and they crushed, uh, Keller fossil Ridge, a, a pretty bad fossil Ridge team and a really good Carroll team. Um, that game was 35 to nothing at the end of the first. It was, I think, uh, I think they took the foot off the gas. It was like 48 to nothing at the end of this, uh, at the half. And I think it ended like maybe 54 to six or something. Um, before I get into the prospects, I can tell you that if you, uh, Jeff, I think Carol is back. Like they are. They look like championship South Lake Carroll, Riley Dodge, and head coach now instead of quarterback, but they look like that that era of South Lake Carroll. And they're playing at a tempo that is incredible. Um, and that's really, you know, was the hallmark of the old South Lake Carroll teams. They could just track race you up and down the field tempo wise. And they are back to that tempo. I mean, the first play of the game was a 40 yard pass, and I was. You know, if you're standing on a sideline reporting, you basically are allowed between the 25 and the goal line on either end of the field. So so I was standing on the, uh, you know, on the back 25 where they first took possession. They they complete like a 40-yard pass. Before I can walk the length of the field to the other 25, they've run two plays. So... They're they're running at that kind of tempo. I know I'm slow, but um, (laughs) the the tempo is incredible there. So if you're looking for a really fun story in high school football this year, um, look at Southlake Carroll as a team. And and I don't say this. Jeff, you know the level of respect that I have for Duncanville High School and those players and those coaches and and that program. I think that Southlake is a team that can really push Duncanville and give them a lot of problems um, in the playoffs this year. Wow. Yeah, I I was that impressed by them.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talk about Carroll back in the day. I mean, that 0-4 South Lake Carroll team, when people talk about the best high school teams they've ever seen, uh, and that might be the best high school football team I've seen, just a complete team. I mean, yeah, and you know, then Chase Daniel, McKay Jacobson was on that team, Aaron Luna. Um, I have to go back and think, I don't, I don't think they had anybody on defense that just jumped out and, and wowed you, but uh, just yeah, that was just such a well-oiled machine, that 4 Carroll team.
0: We played him in 03 in high school, so uh, we got to see him then before when Chase Daniel was a receiver. Chase Wasson, who is was my favorite Southlake quarterback of all time, was was uh, was balling out there. Um, a big re- big part of the reason for their success is their offensive line. It's really good, and that starts with Texas commit Andre Karich. Um He is, man, Jeff, you know, I've been kind of talking with you about Andre's progress over the summer he is looking fantastic he's about 275 now um and just as athletic as you want to see out of an offensive tackle still that great build at about six foot five and a half six six long arms and the way he moves it's different it's it's different than you know you look at uh you know you looked at Javon Shepard in high school who another guy who's, who's leaving the program but you looked at him in high school and you thought well he moves better than most left tackles you look at um, even Jalen Garth, who I think is, uh, has a really high ceiling. And you think, well, yeah, he can, he gets out of his stance quick. He's, he's light on his feet. Andre carriage plays at a level that where he moves like, uh, kind of like an old school Denver Broncos, like Mike Shanahan guard, but he, he does it with the tackle size and that's, um, he's able to do that in pass drops. He's really good at run, uh, run blocking he gets downfield and can ISO on a defender in space, which is one of the hardest things to do for big men, just because you have to, you have to be agile. You have to be a bit of an athlete because they're trying to dodge you. And they're usually much quicker and smaller. He's just, I think the guy in the class, the highest upside, um, he was phenomenal. And then, uh, their soft, their sophomore quarterback Quinn Ewers is has a Texas offer is going to be a guy that that I think will rank in the in the elite group of quarterbacks by the time he's a senior as long as he you know continues on his progression he's probably about six two and a half, six, three, 180 right now um, really good thrower uh, can run the ball a little bit dual threat guys so uh, Southlake is is definitely back
1: yeah Carich is interesting because I think he's a prime example of how as a recruiting industry, I think, and evaluations evolve, and that's kind of what I like about our group at 24-7 is we're not tied into one way of thinking. Uh, you know, Barton and, and Charles and the guys on the rankings team aren't. Uh, and Mike, I know you're not either. You, you understand the stuff evolves. As an industry, we've really changed what we look for and what we value in offensive linemen in terms of how to better project guys. And I think there's always going to be guys that fall through the cracks. Uh, Sam Cosme, I think, is a prime example of that. But I think now there's really more of an emphasis. It used to be, you know, kind of wingspan and, and knee bend, and there were things that you look for. I think now it really is about you know foot quickness. I think number one is huge. Uh, and just measuring overall athleticism. And then two, uh, I think just looking for a good frame. Like, does he have a broad shoulders is something I think that's really important. Uh, And not to say that and those other things aren't, but I just think, can a guy move his feet and does he have room to gain weight to be a 300 plus pound guy? And I think carriage, the way offensive linemen are being evaluated now, dude, he checks a lot of boxes.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, you know we don't necessarily love three hundred pounders anymore. I think that right. you look at most most guys who work out, you're, you're looking for guys who are two seventy, two eighty in high school, and and can grow into what you want them to in, in college. Um, I think Carriage is. I think he'll rise this year. Um, his senior film looks really, really good so far. I've, I've shot it up to our guys that do the rankings, and I think they all agree. And there were some other factors that I can get into after signing day that kind of kept his ranking probably a little lower than it should have been. Um, but I think he's – when you look at who's going to be the biggest riser in this class, a Tyler Owens type, I think that, that you're talking about Andre Karich. Um On Friday, I made my way down to Houston um and and spent a weekend in houston uh so i on friday i was able to see the uh texas 2021 commit hayden connor at katie taylor and his uh the left guard bryce foster who's a, a four-star target of texas just a massive left side of an offensive line i i posted a video um of those two in warm-ups and i was just getting endless retweets of people going like this is high school i mean those two dudes are are, are just really big and, and really imposing um with Hayden, I I think he's a little you know going back to what we were just talking about. I think he's maybe a little too big at this point, um, and, and would like to see him maybe slim down a bit. Um, he is a bit heavy footed. I think I think ultimately Hayden Connor's best chance is to be uh, like Mason Walters, right? Like a really uh, maybe a swing tackle guy, but probably a, a really good guard prospect. I think that's ultimately where he may end up in the in this class. But what I really like about Hayden is his level of, of, of compete is high. Like he doesn't he doesn't take plays off. He's never lazy on stuff, and and that's what you always worry about with, with really big guys. Um, he competes every play, and I, he's obviously a, a really smart kid, which I love in offensive lineman. Um, technique wise, I think he's he's there. I just think I, I would worry a little bit about his. Body physically. Uh, Bryce Foster is a kid that I've been enamored with just because of his size and power. And I think he's he's perfectly built for the guard position. I, I would love to see him again. I don't want to say that he had a bad game, but there were some things where I expected, you know, maybe him to finish a block and, and just didn't see it. I, I think he could have maybe overpowered some kids. I think what's interesting is um, when you have two kids like that, I would love to know you know, what Katie Taylor does. They lost the game, by the way. They lost um, uh, like 13 to 10 or something. Um, And I I would love to know why you don't just line up right behind those two and run, run power, every play. Instead, there was a lot of flipping them all over the line. There was a lot of pulling one of them, but not running behind the pulling guy. And I, I just, I don't understand the scheme. I'm not saying it's a bad scheme. It's just one I don't understand. Um, so I would love to see more from, from the Taylor coaches of, of why they kind of do what they do.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Mason Walters, Mike, that just got me thinking, you know, if that's, if that's Hayden Connor ceiling, then yeah, I think a lot of people would take, you know, 50 starts a guy that's that reliable and and mason mason later in his career was not the athlete he was you know when he signed with texas and got there early um uh, you know the foot injury is his first year in 09 and then you know, by the time he was done he and i kind of talked about it at pro day and a little bit afterwards i mean his his knees were just shot i mean there was his chance to. i, I don't yeah, He didn't work out at pro day, and I don't remember exactly if he said he took a physical and failed, but I don't know that if he worked out for pro teams at the time, his knees were so bad, I don't know that he would have passed the physical.
0: Yeah, I want to make it clear. I, uh, saying Mason Walters is not a shot at all. I thought he was very solid contributor i think you know right. if, if Connor reached that i think that that would probably be his ceiling I don't see him he just doesn't have the high-end athleticism but right. i love the way he approaches preparation and, and competes and um you know i always go back to i think it was last year it may have been the year before i was at a seven on seven tournament and he was out there playing tight end and i asked him why and he was like i just want to compete and i love kids like that um, yeah. there's a lot of kids that turn down opportunities to compete and Hayden Connor seems to go looking for opportunities to compete
1: Jake, Jake Rollerson was one of those kids, you know, that anytime you went to a camp that, that he was always going to be the, the one at the front of the line. And, you know, when you watch he and he was a guy that worked both sides. When you watch online D line, one on ones, Jake Rollerson is going to get more reps than anybody at that camp.
0: Right. I love that. I love to see that because it just it tells me that those kids generally work harder and um, probably have better chance to succeed than the ones who are ducking reps in the back. Uh, on on Saturday, I was very excited to see the Milrow, as he's called on Twitter, uh, Jalen Milrow, who is, um, we're going to have an interview with a little later in the show. Just a wonderful kid, man. I love this kid to death uh, from a maturity perspective. Um, I think that to have the maturity he does at his age, it, it kind of blows me away. Um, I think, you know, me at that age, I was – I was light years behind what Jalen Noro is right now. When you hear him talk about what makes him such an effective recruiter, he talks about how he loves to just talk to people on a real level and be, you know, build relationships and that's something, you know, he's interested in and um, you can see why he's so, uh, you know, so electric in that aspect and on the field, Um, I think there's uh, there's a lot to be excited about. He got off to a quick start throwing two touchdowns, um, and and they looked really easy for him. I mean, he drove the field both times and just kind of it looked like he was playing seven on seven. Uh, They were playing against Morton Ranch who kind of locked down um, defensively and and flustered him a little bit. You know, he had an interception he had a a costly fumble later in the game, but they were able to get the win. I think that um, there are some things he should work on. I think that there, there are a lot of times where he doesn't throw with a solid base. You know, he is like kind of a jump thrower at times. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll do some Patrick Mahomes stuff on you. And I don't know that he's necessarily, you know, got the Patrick Mahomes ability to, to be able to do it. But um, I think you'll learn that type of thing. And then really the, the biggest area of his game where, where I'd say um, – I'd like to see improvement is like kind of his intermediate accuracy um, just on those, on those crossers and and underneath routes. I think he throws a beautiful deep ball and I think he is a a good decision maker. I think he sees the field. Well, I don't think he has issues reading coverage. It's just maybe some of that timing and intermediate accuracy, Um, a good runner. And uh, really, I think a guy that, that Texas fans should be excited about in that class—not only as a leader—he um, he, he does—he kind of reminds me of Sam Ellinger in the way that he has uh, that same like hard nose mentality. Uh, he prepares in the same way, he leads in the same way. But, but I think that you'll see he's a lot more of a uh, of a guy who puts himself out there. He's got a like a billion-dollar smile. Um, he's going to be a guy that you know if he reaches his his uh his his heights and what they think that he could reach it, when you talk about marketable guys and guys that ESPN will love to do stories about that's going to be Jalen Milrow I mean I think he's just a fantastic kid um know here, Jeff here's the throwback game for you I always said that coming out of high school that if Sherrod Harris wasn't going to succeed at quarterback he could probably go be president um he just had that same type of attitude and I, and I kind of see the same thing in Milrow
1: yeah i was gonna say uh a lot of the stuff you describe about him uh kind of reminds you a little bit of jt barrett
0: yeah see i didn't know jt very well and i know you covered that recruitment so that's that's interesting that you say that i mean um what were your impressions of jt coming out of high school
1: uh r- just an incredible leader great guys gravitated toward him you mentioned that smile that persona uh and then on the field just not a guy that was overly demonstrative, but you could tell just a guy that by the way he carried himself, how he handled himself, just commanded respect. Uh, that's really, you know, a lot of the traits JT Barrett had from, from an intangible standpoint really reminded me of a lot of the traits Colt McCoy had. I, I thought those two, from, from the intangible standpoint, were very, very similar.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Milrose um, teammate, Tamishi Adelier was probably one of the best players. I, I will give him the award for the best player I've seen this year, not named Bijan Robinson. Um, he was exceptional. Um, a guy who plays in a three-man front who hates playing in a three-man front, um, but does it anyways. Uh, and just eight double teams all day, was still able to get a couple of sacks. Uh, a few tackles for loss was, was basically unblockable. Um, and, and another kid that just has a, you know, a wonderful personality and, and, you know, really a, a guy that people are going to gravitate to. If Texas can get him in with Milrow, they're going to be really dangerous recruiting because those two on their own can just be, um, you know, I think two of the more persuasive people out there. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a chore for Texas. Obviously the three man stuff's going to play against them. Um, and, you know, he's really interested in a lot of national schools. He's really high on Ohio State. Um, he likes LSU quite a bit. He's he's talking up Oklahoma more and more, and that's one of the schools that's really grabbing his attention with their new new look defense. So, um, Tamiya Delier is absolutely, to me, one of the elite players in that twenty twenty one class. But Texas will have to do some work there.
1: Uh, Oklahoma runs a three man front, by the way, for the record
0: yeah but i I'm sure they will sell him that he can be a, a an outside linebacker. right. That's uh, what uh, Alabama's in the mix for him as well. they you know they'll also talk about that. Yeah. Um, I, and then lastly, I was able to add on a, a late game that night, Saturday night um and go see Derek Harris uh, and New Caney at six o'clock. That's what I love about Houston is they'll always have like a Saturday night, six o'clock game so you can catch a, a bunch of games while you're in town. um. I'm gonna give Derek Harris the award for the best player I've seen this year, not named uh Bijan Robinson and Tamisha Delier. I <laughs> thought he was phenomenal. Um, he was so good, and I, I really didn't know what to expect of him because I had saw him, I would seen him in a camp uh this summer, and you know, linebackers in camps, as you know, Jeff, you it's tough to get any sort of evaluation on a linebacker in a camp. Yeah. Um and, and you know, most of it was him kind of getting beat on, on passing routes and having to cover guys like Ty Jordan, which is just not anything he's probably ever going to be really asked to do at the college level. And so, um, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, for for what I had seen, I, I was kind of curious about his skill set. I am in pads, I love him. Um, he kind of plays a B-backer type position. He's an outside edge rusher, um, and he is tough to stop. He had a couple sacks himself, forced to fumble, um, tackles for loss, multiple quarterback pressures, his length, his suddenness, he's just he's just really tough to deal with. I talked to him after the game about, you know, what what he saw himself playing at texas and he said b-backer was the start but that um you know they have talked about maybe rover position if he picks up more of the defense so i do think he has that versatility to play a bunch of different positions and and kind of contribute in different ways so um but it, it's just gonna depend i think as a b-backer though he's a dangerous dangerous edge rushing
1: guy it's just and I, I by no means am i knocking Derek harris here when i say this but You know, there's so many guys at that level, Mike, that you just see them in that edge rush role, and and then it's hard because, look, as a high school coach, your job is to win football games, right? You've got to put your guys in the best position to win. And and a guy like him, you are going to play him more on the edge. Uh, And then making that transition can be tough. It is really hard to find, like, legitimate just inside linebackers, Mike linebackers, that can fit in the Big 12. I mean, it's... it's real, that might that might be Mike now the toughest position to recruit. I mean, quarterback is in the stratosphere all on its own, and you know you can look at other positions, but that might be the toughest position in terms of finding guys where it's translates because that position more than any other now is about projection. Hey, this is Tiny Levitt. I'm a producer here at 24-7 Sports. And unfortunately, we lost the guys in the middle of that conversation. Even I don't know what they said. So for now, I'm going to leave you with an interview we did with Jalen Milrow after his game last Friday night. Next week, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming, including Bobby Burton. And for now, this is the State of Recruiting Podcast, signing off.
2: All right, we're here with uh, Jalen Milrow after their big win over Morton Ranch. Um, Jalen, just first of all, you
3: know, thoughts on the game today and um, how you're playing so far this year. Mm -hmm. So honestly, coming to the game, we know that we're going to play a great defense, a game with preparation and going out and practicing and competing each and every day getting better for the games uh, that we had Saturday morning so it came from our preparation on the field uh, at practice we know that we're going to have to have higher energy and compete and have toughness playing against this great defense we played, we played a great D-line especially uh, Brandon Brown that we just played against is a great D, great defense alignment uh, coming into the game we know that they're going to be physical so we know, we know that we're going to have to bring it back to them so uh, as far as the game wise I felt like we competed and we finished the game out. That's, that's the key thing we finished the game out no matter if it was it was rough or rough or not. We we finished the game out. And You know that winning winning a game it comes from winning four quarters. So we know that four quarter we had to go one and zero each and every rep. So uh, we came out halftime knowing knowing that we got to pick up the energy and go one and zero each and every rep and and compete with uh, Ranch. because they they brought it they brought it and they were physical. Are these
2: Saturday morning games any tougher to get your body ready for? Do you feel mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. playing, like, an early game on a Saturday than you do on a Friday night?
3: So, honestly, we played from last week, playing on Thursday, so it was a longer stretch for us. So it gave us a, enough time to recover for our bodies. So that was the key thing with playing on this Saturday morning. But honestly, I like playing on Saturday mornings. Uh, I wake up, and then I'm ready to go. But um, we had a longer period to prepare for Morning Ranch. Uh, I felt that we had a great week of practice. And uh, it came with the result of the W, just the, the preparation that come from the field work and then coming out and competing with Mornarash. All right, let's get
2: into a little bit of recruiting talk. Okay. You were in Dallas last week for the That's Red River right. Showdown. Was
3: that your first visit to that game? It was. So for me, that was a great experience, great experience, really, um, because I know that I will be experiencing that less than two years. So I was a part of the, uh, the atmosphere, knowing that I won't see that when I'm at Texas because I'll be in the locker room most likely oh, and I'll be right. playing. But I sat uh, near the 50-yard line, so I saw the, the OU fans, the Texas fans. It was awesome hearing hearing uh, the crowd and the chance they had. And then experiencing the state fair, uh, it was cool cool to me. So I experienced the whole uh, Red, Red River robbery, and it was cool. Did you eat anything interesting at the fair? What was that? Did you eat anything interesting at the no, fair? No, because the lines were so packed. <laughs> so we tried to get. we got there early. So the game was at 11. Um, we got there at like 8 o'clock. It was already packed. So we were trying to get in line, try to get some fried Oreos, fried pickles. We couldn't even get it. <laughs> so it was too packed. You got to get a corn dog, man. It's home yeah. of the original yeah.
0: corn
2: dog. Right. Um, you know, With Texas, I, I was talking to Tamisha. Obviously, you've had a huge impact on that 2021 class, building it to the number two class in the country so far. What's
3: been the secret for that group of guys to come together so quickly? Knowing that football comes with brotherhood and it comes with trusting your guys. So we know that coming in to college you have to know they have to build a brotherhood it's not just going to come automatically so we're getting ahead of the game and getting getting each other phone numbers communicating um trying to talk because knowing that they're not as close close to you but you still can reach out to them see how, how they're doing because i know some guys that are in dallas um some other states that's that's committed to texas so just just building that, that brotherhood and just and uh build a connection together but as far as the Texas class and trying to build it up, it's just trying to uh, do everything for the for uh, Texas and uh, uh, try to get a state, uh, try to get a national championship.
2: Um, I noticed today you guys kind of run a few similar plays. So You guys even ran the tackle throwback yeah, play yeah, today. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: how how much do you see when you watch the Texas offense that kind of how you
3: can operate it? Mm-hmm. So, uh, with the recruiting process. Um, I saw that Texas is, runs a similar offense to the room we were at Tompkins. So That's the, the portion and part of that. So I'm getting a little ahead of, head of uh, uh, going into college because we run a variation of Texas offense. But uh, with the offense that Texas run, I love the offense. I love Coach Beck and what he's doing with the offense. And I feel that I'll, I'll uh, come in into the, to the program uh, ready.
2: All right, my last question. I'm gonna put you on the spot with this. One. You don't have to name names. Will the 2021 class add somebody soon, within the next couple of months? Do you think? Yes, it will. Okay, there we go, Jaylen Nora.